0: Hello, Harvest Community Church. Man, is it good to be with you today. It's Christmas. I was going to say in Katanning, right? But I guess it's Christmas everywhere, right? Like it's Christmas time in Indiana where it's like a wonderful life I hear, right? And uh, at PVC and all the other places that we have places to worship. But I, I got to tell you, I love Christmas time. There's a lot of reasons that I love Christmas time. But one of the reasons is because many times what will happen is we will find people who will come and, and join us for a church service as guests. And, and if that's you, it's a joy to have you here. And the reason I'm really excited is because you'll get to hear life-giving news right many times I know it's you didn't come here to worship King Jesus because I was you for many years I came to appease a mom a dad or an aunt or an uncle or somebody who would invite me to church but if that's you man I'm thrilled you're here and it's not by mistake that you're here but but I want to tell you it's my experience that many times people will come out to to church services during this time of year and, and the thing is they really Don't understand the story of the Bible. And they don't understand how Christmas actually fits into the the greater picture of the whole. You know, it's perfectly true that the Virgin Mary gave birth to baby Jesus in order to save the world. And that's fantastic. But many times the thoughts that we have in our brain don't always come from the Bible. Right. Like Jesus didn't have like gold spikes shooting out of his face. Right. They didn't show up at a particular location to be told there's no room here. But, but I'm not going to talk about any of that. What I want you to know is I want you to know how Christmas fits into the greater story of the Bible, right? Like starting with Christmas is like going to the movie halfway through and, and you grab your popcorn, you grab your soda and you sit down and you started in the middle of the movie and like 30 minutes into the movie, which is like, let's say four hours long, you get a text, and something better has come up. And so you're like, man, I don't even know what's going on here. I'm not really interested. And so you dart. But before you actually leave the movie theater, you grab a couple of your buddies, and you stand by the marquee, you snap a selfie, you post it up on Instagram, and you're like, man, hashtag greatest movie ever. This thing was awesome. But you start to get busted, right, because what happens is people are like, oh, I was thinking about seeing that movie. Tell me about that movie. And, and really, if you could be honest, you're like, ugh. I mean, I guess it was, like, it was about like a baby, right? And like there was some farm animals and, you know, some people sung. But I, you don't know how it began, right? You don't know the characters that are in the storyline. And really, if we could be honest, you're truly lost. If it, it's fair to say that you don't understand the depth and the complexity of this particular movie. And my concern is many of times is what happens is we can approach the Bible just like that. We come into the unfolding story of the Bible and we don't understand it, not completely. It's fragmented at best. So our time for today, I hope to give you a 30,000 foot flyover of what the Bible really teaches and how Christmas fits into the larger picture, okay? That's, that's the goal. So now think about it. With every movie, every story, there's got to be at least four parts if it's going to be any good, right? You've got to have a beginning, right? The Bible, we call that creation, right you got to have a conflict or a problem which we'd call conflict or fall but then you got to have some conflict resolution and we call that redemption and then you got to have an ending everybody wants to know how the story ends and we call that restoration and here's the thing the bible is the greatest story that has ever been told but i want to make sure that you understand this is not some fairy tale right it's not some story that like some fun sponges came up with to keep you from really enjoying your life and to give you a greater purpose right I've heard people think that teach that I have even thought that before I got saved it's like man people just came up with this to keep us in check right they just don't want us to have any fun which is silly I mean that's a silly thought I used to think it it was a silly thought when I thought it if you think it now it's still a silly thought because here's the deal if that was their aim they failed right because have you looked around Ain't nobody like, actually behaving because they read the Bible, right? So if that was the aim, it didn't work. But here's the thing: this story is true, and this story has taken thousands of years to unfold. And I'm help, I'm hoping to actually tell you this meta narrative in 45 minutes or less. That's going to take a Christmas miracle, right? You believe in those? If you're a Christian, you do, right? So let's let's get rolling. Let's start with creation. Creation, I mean, it tells us how things began and essentially where everything has come from. So in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, listen to what it says. It says, in the beginning, God. What did he do? He created. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. That's where the story begins. It does not begin in a manger, it does not begin with baby Jesus in a manger. No, that's not where it begins. It begins with God. The Bible starts with God, and that's because everything was created by him and for him, and ultimately through him. Therefore, everything belongs to him. I mean, if you've ever heard that like, God created us because he was lonely... I want you to know that's just not true. God was fully delighted in and of himself. He needed nothing nor no one. Yet it pleased God to create, right? And we see that. So God created the heavens and the earth. But the Bible is not primarily about us. It's primarily about him. Remember that the world has not always been broken, right? It starts off really well. It starts off with this good and glorious God, and he creates, which is the first point on your map right? God created the world and everything in it. And he filled it with goodness and purpose. And everything worked together perfectly, just as he had designed. The Bible, the Bible calls this shalom, right? Shalom. That's a Hebrew word, which means, essentially it means peace or harmony, wholeness, uh, completeness, right? And and everything was really good. and, And that's what it's, That's what it means. Shalom means it's like when everything that has been created is working in its created order and enjoying its loving relationship with its creator, right? Now at the pinnacle of God's, let's say, creation is man, right? It's not lightning bugs, right? It's not the norwal or the unicorn of the sea, right? It's not even a platypus, which all those are really cool, but none of those are made in the image of God. Only man is, but here's the thing, you and I, we're creatures from the beginning, and we will always be creatures. But this does not mean that you and I don't have value and real purpose. We do, because we're made in God's image. Now, what does that mean? That would take up till the new year to really unpack, but let's think about it for just a moment. Like Image. If you were to hold a mirror up in front of your face and you were to look back, what's reflecting back at you is your image. So you and I were, were made in the image of God to reflect him, right? To reflect his glory. So as, as humans, we can love, right? We can abstract. We, we, can, we get angry. We have a sense of justice, right? And, and those are all attributes of God. But, but here's the thing. Fast forward just a moment. We're not there yet. But we're fractured image bearers. But that was not how it always was. We were to enjoy God. We were unlike anything else in all creation because we were made in his image. And, and so that made it possible for us to have real relationship with our creator, God, right? Which was awesome. That's where shalom is, That's where peace is, being connected with God, being with him, enjoying him. We were created to be dependent upon him for our very existence. We were created to enjoy a loving relationship with God and one another, right? And so if you're familiar with the story, though, it doesn't take long before that doesn't, that that shalom's gone, right? Which we would call the fall or or. That describes the problem where sin enters the world, where the things become fractured, right? The Bible tells a story of a garden and a tree and a serpent, right? And, but, but God gave the first created man, Adam, a perfect home in the Garden of Eden. And in his infinite wisdom, he only gave him one restriction, one commandment. And, and he says this in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, he says, The Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden pause man god is generous he's generous right like here's this garden you can eat of every tree adam enjoy but then he says this but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die and when, when it says die there, it means physically, yes, but it, but it means much more than that. It means spiritually, it means to be severed, to be separated from the one in whom is life, right? God, the one we were created to enjoy. And God, in his kindness, didn't stop there. He gave Adam a partner, he gave him Eve right? A wife. And and Eve was to be his wife, to go through life with, to enjoy relationship, to be fruitful and to multiply, to essentially spread image bearers all throughout the land that would reflect the goodness of God. But the Bible says that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. That's shalom. That's good. Right. That's that's a good thing. They knew no such thing as shame. They were enjoying life with their creator. They were enjoying life with one another. Everything was perfect between them and God. Creation was good. But this shalom was about to be tested. It was about to be ultimately fractured. If you know the story, the serpent enters into the scene and he causes Adam and Eve to doubt God and his goodness, right? He approaches Eve and he says this. He said, did God actually say? Hey, what's he doing? He's causing Eve to essentially question the goodness of God. Did he really say that? I mean, did he really say that you, you, know, you can't eat of that one tree? Essentially, the serpent's getting Eve to, to really doubt God's goodness, right? Right? to not trust him. The serpent does not want her to listen to God, right? And so he tempts them into thinking that they could be independent. You know what's going on here, right, Eve? Like God doesn't want you to know the fullness of joy that's really available. You know, you could be just like him, but he doesn't want that because he don't want no competition, right? So that's why he tells you, he's trying to keep a woman down. Don't eat that fruit. But but did he really say that? I don't, mm hmm. And so what she do? She doubts. And she realizes in that moment, man, she is, she's being tempted. But what does she do? I mean, essentially what's going on is the serpent is saying, freedom is one bite away. And he's a liar. He's an absolute liar. But the Bible tells us that there's a great act of treason that's about to happen. And what's it say? It says, Eve took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And this is the conflict. This is the fall. This one act of rebellion changed everything, right? It, it would, and they would quickly realize it. I mean, immediately, this rebellious decision did not bring the freedom that they hoped that it would. Instead, what did it bring? It brought brokenness, It brought shame, disgrace, guilt, and struggle. They would struggle with their relationship with them and God. They would struggle with their relationship with one another. Heck, even the ground would war against Adam. Everything was now a struggle. And that's because, second point on your map, sin not only caused all humanity to become fractured image bearers, but it fractured everything in the universe, including our relationship with, with God I mean we man you'd have to be deaf dumb and blind to not know something's wrong with the world right if we just look around if you would just watch a snippet of the news if you'll just leave your home heck you don't have to leave your home can we just be honest right you know things are broke You know it because you live in this world. Something's gone terribly wrong in the world. Something's gone wrong in you. Something has gone wrong in me. Something has gone wrong in the universe. Shalom is gone and we have no power to fix it. But that's not going to stop us from trying if we could be real, right? Like think about Christmas for just a moment, right? Um, It is so easy to see people essentially offering solutions to the world's problems, right? They make promises that they cannot keep. As many of you know, I used to work in retail management, which, by the way, was not as glamorous as you probably are all thinking. Um, But there was some real perks to the job. One was I love people, man. I really do. I loved my employees. Not all of them. Those ones I fired. But like I kept the ones I enjoyed and I loved. I mean, I loved customers because I find people absolutely fascinating. We're an interesting creature, right? And I actually like to observe people because, I mean, we're interesting. You, if you take the time, you will find that every human being has a good story. You just got to listen and you got to ask a lot of questions. But you know who else likes to observe people? Not Santa. No. I mean, he does, right? Maybe. But marketing professionals, marketing professionals, they love to study humans marketing by definition says it says this the action or business of promoting and selling products or services including marketing research and advertising what's the goal of marketing In a sense, it's to sell products by promoting them as something that you have to have, right? In order to be happy, in order to be satisfied. They know the human heart is not satisfied, so they got a good business, right? So they promote the fact that your life, essentially it stinks, right? They tell you that. And if you just had this or that, oh, how happy you would be. And essentially, shalom would just come back into your life, and you would have everything that you could possibly need for the low-down reasonable price of, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, right? but what are they saying? They know you're not satisfied. They know that you have no peace. That's why you need this or that. You can hear it everywhere if you will listen this time of year. Now I'm so thankful I don't have to listen to a lot of commercials anymore, right? Because I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to TV. Everything I got is DVR. I fast forward and this and that, but I don't have to hear it, but it's everywhere. If you're on your phone, it flashes up. You got to have this in order to be happy. And this time of year, it's intensified. It's like it's on steroids right? Your life will not be complete unless you have fill in the blank. I looked it up for young girls, right? The LOL surprise baby doll, whatever that is, right? That's apparently a big thing. I know there's probably some girls like, oh yes, I want that, right? I hope you get it. How about this one? Barbie's ultimate kitchen. Like these things never go out of style. My daughter, when she was a young girl, she had a kitchen, right? Now my wife has a kitchen and my daughter wants no part of that one. And that's okay. That's okay. It's cool. Someday she will. And she does help out mom. She's a great kid. But, but how about some boys, right? They, they want the ultra four rocket kit, whatever that is. You stomp on it. It's called the stomp rocket or some gaming system or whatever. Give him a BB gun. I promise he'll be happy and he won't shoot his eye out probably, right? Want a happy wife? What? Go to Jared right? Apparently this is the thing, man. Like go to Jared. What's Jared got? He got diamonds and she's going to be happy. This will really teach her that you love her. Man, make your man happy. How? Don't rack up the credit card. No one says that. No one says that, but what is it? Maybe a gun? I don't know. So you can like slay some deer, not reindeer though, right? But everybody's pointing out what you got to have in order to be happy. You know the other thing that's crazy that's pushed this time of year? It's what... It's what the world says a f- normal family should look like. It's the perfect Christmas, right? Have you seen this? The perfect looking family. You might have got some cards in the mail that like, well, man, they look perfect. Like, okay. Well, that's cool. But that is actually being sold. This time of year. Right. It's being sold on the Hallmark Channel. It's being sold on Lifetime, ABC Family and all the other means that we can get media. But it shows this thing where, you know, things aren't really great, but then the snow will fall. And before you know it, everyone's kissing under mistletoe. Right. You've seen this. It's where they all gather around. Right. And, and what do they do? They all stand around the fireplace or the piano and they sing. Everyone's wearing a new sweater, and it's embroidered with like a moose or a Christmas tree or something, right? And the turkey is not dry. It's awesome. The ham is cooked perfectly. The whole house smells like your favorite candle. You walk in, and you think like, man, it's like an elf came in here and just It's awesome. I love it. And nobody's fighting. I mean, nobody. There is peace and good cheer with this family. And they all believe that it's actually better to give than it is to receive, which is interesting that they finish off this perfect evening by drinking hot cocoa, holding hands while singing Christmas carols. And it all points to something that, let's be honest, does not exist on this earth. It doesn't. And if it happens at your house, can I come? I, I will wreck it. I will wreck it. But I want to see this thing, right? But what does this thing do? It causes a longing in us. We want that. You know, C.S. Lewis calls this an inconsolable longing, right? It, it's meaning, like, he's saying like we're made for something so much more. Right. But here's the thing. You and I, man, we generally will just settle for this. Right. We will settle for a hot pocket instead of a really good meal. Which is exactly what he would say when he would say, The biggest problem that you and I face is not that we're dissatisfied, but that we're far too easily satisfied. And Christmas time does that. By the way, I'm not a fun buster. I love Christmas time. I mean, I'm serious. We're rocking out to some awesome Christmas jams on the way in. We got our Christmas tree up. I'm enjoying this time of year. But I want you to see, you and I, we become far too easily satisfied with the sights, the sounds, and the taste of this world. And we lose an understanding that essentially something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. It all numbs us to our brokenness. And sometimes we just, we like that, right? Here's the thing though. There's no perfect normal family. My wife, I mean, she might've got this from someone, but she's always telling us when we use that word normal, she's like, that is just a, a setting on our dryer, right? Like normal, right? There's nothing normal happening here. So she's a good reminder to tell us that, but things are not okay around us or inside of us. And you don't have to look real far to figure it out. If you and I could just like put on some like real life goggles and look at that picture one more time, right? Let's do that. I think it should be fun. We play Christmas music, but let's be honest. We disagree what music to play next, right? And and not everybody has a fireplace and not everyone's going to stand around it and not everyone has a piano and by the way the stupid sweater that you got me it's itchy and it makes me look fat and then one of my friends is going to be like dude I just want you to know that sweater doesn't make you look fat you're fat bro right and now I'm like oh I'm, I'm upset and the turkey's dry and nobody's even noticed that like the dogs like he's chowing down the ham right and like things are bad. The house is a disaster. It doesn't smell like my favorite candle. It smells like burnt green bean casserole. And everyone's in debt. And nobody likes to give. Everybody wants to receive. And I don't want to hold your hand, right? Because it's clammy. And, and you got a cold. And you got like green stuff coming out your face. And, and I just want to go home. Can we just be real? I just want to go home and I want to go to bed. I want to pull the covers up over my head and wait till the new year. Why? So I can make some new year's resolutions, right? That I'm not going to keep if we can just be honest because that will keep me feel like so I won't feel like a big loser, but I'm going to make this resolution and I'll be done with it in a couple weeks. But don't worry. Why? Because someone in marketing has figured out exactly what I need and it's coming out this October, get it next Christmas, and it will fix everything in my life but that's not true. Oh, but by the way, before we leave, if we could, man, it would be great if we could just stand in front of the Christmas tree and snap a picture so I can post that and put hashtag best Christmas ever. Everybody smile. No, like I'm freaking serious. Smile, right? You've been there. You've done that. And we post that, right? We post that. And it's like, oh, come on. Ah, that's better. <laughs> that's much more like the world we live in. Can we just be real? We can, right? We're, now, I'm not saying it's that extreme, but I'm showing you the separation between the two because we're broken. You and I are broken because of our sin. And yet so many people want to reject that the problem with this world is that you and I are sinners by nature and by choice and that we reject God's goodness. Therefore, you and I are subject to God's wrath. That's why I love the Bible. That's absolutely why I love the Bible because it is honest honest. And it's true, all of it, all of it. There's some seriously strange families in the Bible, if you'll just read it, like all of them, right? And, and they're all affected by sin except for Jesus. And, and here's the thing, the Bible refuses to minimize, diminish, or deny the terrible realities of our condition. Adam and Eve's rebellion had its consequences, right? And, and that was that you and I would be cut off from God. We would be separated from him. And this is why Christmas is needed. It's why Christmas is needed. This is why we need a savior, because not everything is okay. God was angry. God is angry and just to be angry at sin. And he has perfect anger, but he doesn't destroy man, which is so good. Actually, it's quite the opposite. While in the middle of our pathetic claim that we are somehow smarter or more capable and owe him nothing while we shake our puny fist at our creator the sovereign god of the universe actually intervenes and on our behalf for our good and for his glory and he's always had a plan this is not plan b this is plan a man what a good god and so regardless of what you think about the Bible or, or what God thinks about you, I want you to know that God loves you. And the Bible teaches that, right? And, and we see that because from the very moment that sin enters the world, God began to lay out a plan to send a Savior who would rescue us right? That's what Christmas is about. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's divine rescue plan, which enter third scene, which is redemption. This is where we get the solution to the problem. And we did not have to go far to actually get it. The fall happened in Genesis chapter three, but the promise comes right on the heels of it. Will you look with me? Genesis three fourteen and 15. You know, this text is the first gospel. Uh, Pointy-headed theologians would call it, they they call it the the proto-evangelion, right? Which just means the first gospel. Good news, that's what gospel means. And this is good news. You might need to look at it again to see how beautiful it is. But God, who has just been greatly sinned against, preaches good news to Adam and Eve and to all humanity with this particular promise. He did not tell them that you have screwed up royally. And therefore, you need to figure a way to fix this thing. I'm out of here. He didn't say that. No, what he did, instead, in his kindness, he preached amazing news. He promised that the evil serpent, which we would find out later, is the devil, that he would always be at war with Eve and her children God then promised that one of Eve's children would eventually come someday, sooner than later. And what would he do when he stepped into the mess of humanity? He would crush the head of Satan. He would bring salvation to the rebellious sinners of the world. He would make a way for sinners to come back and to enjoy shalom with the one who created them, who loves them. And at times, I mean, if you read the Bible, you got to think, man, like did, Jesus, like did God forget Right, because long times go on, and it just seems like things get worse. And throughout the years, it does get worse in the Old Testament. It gets darker, and it seems like they continually and progressively get worse. And at those times, though, God was so kind to send prophets who would speak words of hope. Like, Like Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, said this in Isaiah 7.14. Look with me. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, God promises to give the sign. What's the sign or what's the miracle here? The virgin's going to give birth. Yep, that's a miracle, right? Like, ask mom and dad, right? But that's a miracle. And he promises that. But this is not just any baby. No, this is God with us and this is 700 years before jesus would come onto the scene and this man who he's promising would be the promised head crusher the one who would come and to do in satan god with us because that's what we need right i love that this is not god who's far off this is not god who's out of reach but this is god who is near this is God who is here. This is God put on flesh and come and dwell among us. Oh, what a good God. And he comes to the mock and the mire. He does not say, work your way to me. Because he knows we can't. Every other religion teaches that. And it's a bankrupt plan. He says, no. Oh, in my love, in my kindness, I'll come to you. I'll come to you. We have a God of steadfast love. He loves you so much that he would send his son To rescue us. What a good God. I mean, this God who began the story, the God who made everything, is the same God who would come down, who would become flesh, who would enter human history as a baby. But here's the thing like, Christmas story is so easily. Sanitized and glamorized in in pop art, right? In culture, we we make it something that it's not. I mean, yes, Jesus is conceived by a miracle, amen. But Jesus would enter the world essentially in obscurity, in a very small town, and and, and he would come in through labor and blood and pain, just like all babies do. But but here's the thing that we need to ask, and there's two questions that I'm hoping to answer right now: Why did God? put on flesh and what did he accomplish by doing that because that's what we got to know if we're going to understand the solution to the problem well there's a text I want us to look at to hopefully bring some light to that look with me Hebrews chapter 2 14 and 15 okay turn there and follow along it says since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he meaning Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, through his death on a cross, he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death who were subject to lifelong slavery. I, you need to see this. Jesus came to die and in his death, he would destroy death at his resurrection so that people like you and I who were in the domain of darkness could be removed from that domain and transferred into his kingdom and enjoy freedom, real freedom. Because prior to that, you and I were not free. We were slaves to our sin. We were absolutely slaves. When sin came knocking, you and I needed to obey. So Jesus puts on flesh. He adds humanity because that's what needed. That that is what the war would require. A perfect savior, right? It, It required the death of a man because the wages of sin is death. But here's the problem. You and I can't pay that wage. We do not have the power. So it required a perfect man, a sinless man. It requires Jesus the head crusher, and he comes and he pays the sins of the world by laying himself out on a, on a piece of wood and absorbing the wrath of God. That's how this conflict would be resolved, right? So, like, this is your third fill in the blank. It says, in some miraculous way, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came into this fractured world as a sinless baby in order to die in the place of sinners. I mean, think about it. Jesus was born to die. That was his rescue mission. He came, listen, everything is means, and here was the goal. It was to bring sinners into the presence of Almighty God. It was to make a way for us as, as sinful humanity to have a way to come and to enjoy life with God, to enjoy things the way it was supposed to be. Do you see? A savior was necessary because humanity was in need of salvation. Christmas essentially is about a bloody war. It's a bloody war. I know we like to make it much more PG, right? But that's not the case. Jesus is the one who fulfills Genesis 3.15 at the cross. Do you see that? Satan struck a serious blow upon this man at the cross. And and, and that bruised the heel of Jesus. It wounded him. It wounded him right? To the point of death, but death had no claim on him. But Jesus at his triumphant resurrection would deal the mortal blow to Satan's head and he would crush his head. Christmas is war for sure, but make no mistake about it. It's ultimately about freedom. It's ultimately about peace. Jesus came to pay the price so that you and I could enjoy peace with God because we were at war with him and we needed someone to help. And Jesus does. Jesus sets us free from Satan, sin, and death. And this gift of salvation is offered by grace alone, meaning it's a gift. You get this. It's Christmas, right? What do, you receive, what do you do with a gift? Hopefully you receive it and you enjoy it. And that's what salvation is. It's a gift and it's delivered by baby Jesus. He hands it to you. But baby Jesus grew up and he went to a cross and that's where the biggest gift was paid in his life, his blood, and you receive that by faith, by trusting in him. See, God right now is extending his hand of mercy. He, he offers forgiveness of sin. He offers pardon to rebels. Here's my question to you As have you received this gift of mercy? Have you received this gift of grace? Are you in Christ? I pray you are. I trust many of you are. But see, here's the thing. Those who receive this gift of salvation not only receive pardon, we receive adoption. I mean, this is amazing. This is so amazing. We go from enemies of God to to sons and daughters. We, we, we go into the family of God and to never be kicked out again. Why? Because he is going to make sure he maintains this. He who began this good work is faithful to bring it to completion. We have such a good God. And he, he did this to bring us in the family so that we could spend eternity with him in a new world and enjoy the shalom that you and I are ultimately all longing for, right? That's what Christmas is about. Make no mistake about it. That's what Christmas is about. But that, that, that's not the end. That's not the end. So we've got to finish this baby up, right, which is restoration. This tells us what everything will look like once the repair has taken place. And you might think, well, isn't that right now? <sighs> Have you not looked around? Like if this is, if this is heaven on earth, ugh, right, like, Lord, help. No, this isn't the end. This is not the end. The war essentially is over at the cross and at the resurrection, but there's a battle that's still being played out. But we know that we're on the winning side if we're with Christ. See, you and I, if you're in Christ, we are in, hopefully anticipating his second return, right? You know he's coming back, right? And his next entrance into the world is going to be awesome. I mean, he's coming back for those who are eagerly waiting for him. Have you thought through that this December? I mean, seriously, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get busy that we can sometimes lose focus on the things that are happening. Take time. I know you're here, which is awesome because that means you're taking that time. But think on these things. Think on these things. Ask him to stir your heart and your affections to to long for him. Right, Because they were longing for, for their Savior to come when he entered as a baby. But we got greater revelation. We're longing for him to come back and set up shop and, and make everything perfectly right. That's what we're longing for. And he will do that. Now, we don't know the precise moment that Jesus is going to do that. We don't know the year. We don't know the month or the day or the hour. But we do know that he will return. And some of you might be thinking, like, I know. No, you don't. Okay. And, and, but here's the thing. You might be thinking at times, like, I don't think he's coming back. I mean, have you ever been tempted with that? You're just like, am I just like some big dummy who believes a fairy tale? Have like, you been tempted with that? Can I tell you he's coming? But, but who cares what I have to say, really, unless it's in the Bible. But I want you to know the Bible tells us he is coming back, right? When our king returns a second time, it will not be as an eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus, He's not coming back like that. You've got to make sure you understand this, especially if you're not in Christ, right? Salvation is open. The table is open right now. But when he comes back a second time, he is coming as returning king of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming to judge and he's coming to make war on his enemies. And you're like, where's that at? Look at Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Man, I love this. This is such... There's beautiful imagery here, but think about the words that I'm about to read. Go home and read them again, right? It says then, so John, he's talking about what's going to happen in the future. And no doubt there's like some, some imagery here. I don't think he's really going to have a sword hanging out of his mouth, but, but it's probably the truth of his word that's going to strike down the nations. But listen, he says, then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems, means crowns. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is your Savior. He's coming back. He's coming to rescue those who are eagerly waiting on him. And if that's not you, can I just like implore you and encourage you to, to cast yourself at the feet of Christ and ask for forgiveness? Oh, he, man, he loves to extend grace. He loves to forgive. He loves to adopt sinners into his family because that's all there is. Right? If you're like, well, i got to clean myself up. There is no cleaning you up. Jesus came to die in your place so that you could have the blood of Christ cover you, which would be his righteousness. Now you're clean, right? Now you're white as snow. Now you're made new. But, but listen, don't miss this. This day's going to come. In history, this will happen. Jesus is going to rip open the sky and he's going to return on a white horse. He will be mounted on it. He's going to have a robe. It's going to be dipped in blood and he's not coming to be like a baby. No, he's coming to rule. He's coming to make war. But for those who are in Christ, this is not a scary moment. This is a joyous moment. This is a moment we long for. This is the moment when everything gets put back into place. This is warrior Jesus. This Jesus is not to be trifled with. He's not to be trifled with. The question is, what do we do in the meantime, church? Really, I mean, what do we do? Just like hang out, right? Watch PG movies and just wait for him to come back, right? Sing kumbaya, no, we have a mission. We have a job to do. We worship, right? We worship. We worship God in this place for sure, but we worship, we are worshipers. Our lives are to be a living sacrifice submitted to King Jesus. We're to be his ambassadors. We're to represent him. We're to love him. We're to adore him. And, and we're to wait patiently. And as we do, we are to serve diligently. We're to serve diligently as we seek to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. I love that Pastor Mike said a few weeks ago, here's the trick though. You and I, we cannot increase the health and size of God's church. Not really. God has to do that. But who does he do that through? You and me. He does that through people, right? He blesses our work though. See, in this life, you and I need to humbly serve like Jesus did at his first coming. He came to to serve, not to be served. To give his life as a ransom. So our lives are in the sure and steady grip of God Almighty. Therefore, we can lay down our lives in glad submission to him and for him for the joy of the people that are in our neighborhoods. To love them, to serve them, because we need nothing from them because Christ is sufficient. So we can, we can gladly love them. Well, what if they don't like me? It doesn't matter. Keep loving Love your enemies. You and I don't have a human enemy. We do not fight against flesh and blood. You might think, no, I think this person doesn't like me. They may not, but you can love them. You can love them, right? And that's what we're called to do. We are called to live in a way that that shows we're anticipating that he's coming back, right? We want to be full of faith. We want to be full of faith and we do not want our love to grow cold. And therefore you and I need to stir the affections of our heart. We need to ask God to stir the affections of our heart to love him and to love our neighbor so that we can walk with God so that you and I can love one another as a church family so that essentially you and I can seek the lost, right? We can get out there. We can let people know, hark the herald angels sing. We need some angels who are proclaiming good news. Now that's weird because you're not angels, Right, But you're human, and you got a tongue, and this gospel is powerful, and therefore you can get out and unashamedly preach it, share it, get in the lives of people, spread good news of cheer. This world needs good news. Jesus dying in the place of sinners is great news. It's great news. So share it. Give your life away for this cause, and you'll never waste it, not for one second. Remember, you and I started this evening with with a promise that God would send Jesus to crush the head of the serpent and make all things right again, right? And that's going to happen once and for all. But you want to see something? Look at Romans 16, 20. Paul tells the church, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's talking about the church. The grace of our Lord Jesus christ be with you i love this right like god brings us into the to the work right we're, we're going to crush the serpent together man that's that's awesome that day's coming and you, you need to know this right like when that day comes man all the things will truly be right i mean we're anticipating that moment the war essentially it's going to finally be over once and for all all relationships will be made right there will be no more depression. There will be no more broken brains, like that don't function the way they're supposed to. No more anxiety. No more death. No more loss. As a matter of fact, the Bible gives promise after promise. In Isaiah 35, it says that the desert, the desert shall bloom with roses right? I mean, that's gorgeous. Picture it. Amos, right? 9.13 says that the plowman shall share and shall overtake the reaper and the mountains will produce sweet wine. Isaiah 65 says that there will be no more weeping, and and not only that, but the lamb will lie down with the lion. All things will be made right. Habakkuk 2:14 says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, as the water covers the sea. It's going to shine. You won't even need a son anymore that the Bible says, right? There's going to come a day, it says in Revelation 21, 4, that he, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from your eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All that is sad, all that is dark, it's gone in an instant and everything will be made right when our king returns. This is what we're looking for This is your last point. God will end this war once and for all. That's a promise that you'll see over and over throughout the Bible. He will reverse the curse that entered the world through our sinful rebellion. And he will make all things new. Gosh, I'm longing for that. I'm longing for that. If you're not longing for that, that probably means you're in a really good state of life. Which, hey, thank God for that. But the more you suffer, the more you will long for your king to return. Hang in there. He's coming. He is coming. Know that. Know that. I know this winter seems long and dark. And I'm not talking about this particular season. I'm talking sometimes man you just get in the pit and it can seem long you might not be there you might be on the mountaintop and the sun is shining praise god but the more you suffer the more you long the more you see people you love get sick and die the more you long for jesus oh please come make everything right once again he's coming he's coming trust him he will always do what his word says because he's a faithful and good God and therefore you and I can trust him. We will live in the presence of God who is infinitely greater than anything you and I could ever imagine. This is a place where righteousness dwells because you and I, listen, what we really long for is we long for our long-awaited king, who is the head crusher, to come and make everything right again, where he rules and where he reigns and everything is perfect, right? Unlike the corrupt world that we live in now, we long for him. That's what your heart's longing for. And there's no present outside the grace of God that can fulfill that in your heart. So join me, Join me in anticipating Him. Join me in worshiping Him. Join me in loving and adoring Him. And listen, know this. What we long for is God Himself. He's the greatest treasure that you and I are longing for. And He's available now. God with us. Amen? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.